Um, If you guys have your Bibles, um, turn with me to Psalm 111 this morning. Like I said, I'm coming, you know, from doing junior high ministry, so um, I'm just really excited and thankful to be with you guys this morning, and um, bear with me if I uh, say something that's more junior high level, and, um, you know, just, yeah, just bear with me in case I um, make a comment about needing to wear deodorant or something like that. Um, but yeah, it's good to be back in here and just in uh, a familiar space. We were just in here uh, before you guys throwing baloney at each other's faces. So um, that's junior high, but high school doesn't seem too much different. But uh, if you just turn with me to Psalm 111, um, I just want to read this together this morning. And uh, before we do that, I just want to ask, like, how you know if you've really lived? How you know if you've really lived life to the fullest, to the way it was meant to be lived? I mean, like, really living life well. Uh, Some people say, like, to, to live life really well, you have to do, like, all these different, like, kind of bucket list items in your life Uh, travel to this many countries, um, do this many crazy things. One of them uh, just that I was looking at was, uh, it's called free solo slacklining. I don't know if you guys have ever gone, does anybody go slacklining here? Yeah, so slacklining, in case you're not up with like the coolest trend of 2015, um, it's not that cool anymore, uh, is when you like move across this flat piece of rope that's uh, kind of suspended between two anchors. Usually you do it like it's a couple feet in the air. Um, but these people take slacklining to the extreme and they go like between mountains. So they're just like hanging over these cliffs and they do it without any like attachment. It's really like risking their life. But some people say to do that is life-changing. You haven't really lived until you've done that. I think another one that kind of came up was uh, surfing. Anybody here, big surfer? No, nobody surfs in here. Wow. Okay. Well, Timmy, Timmy surfs. Yeah. Okay. So uh, Portugal is known for some of the biggest waves in the world, uh, hundred foot waves, and these people say that you haven't really lived until you've surfed on the waves of Portugal. And you could just go through a list on and on of things that people say you really need to do to live your life to the the best way possible, to live your life with true happiness and joy. Uh, The list goes on with like swimming with sharks in South Africa, eating fried tarantulas in Cambodia, climbing Mount Everest, base jumping, storm chasing, uh, going paintballing underwater, Um, I was kidding. That's not actually a thing. Uh, That would be cool though, right? I feel like that would be awesome. Uh, But I think we know, right, that like those aren't the things that will really help us live life. Those aren't the things that are really going to give us true life to the fullest, the way it was meant to be. But I wonder just about you, like how you would know if you've really lived life the fullest. How do you know? Uh, How are you able to gauge if you're really living well? 
How can you know that you're doing life right, that you're not missing out on everything that it was meant to be? I think for a lot of people, it would be just trying to look popular, maybe getting the best grades they can get or getting into that college that they really want to get into. Like that's going to help me live the best life. Uh, Maybe it's just getting that one thing that you really have been wanting and and maybe even praying for. That's going to give you true life. Then I'll really live. I think for me when I was in high school, circle of trust here, don't, don't laugh at me, but I really wanted to be like a homecoming candidate. Do you guys have homecoming at your schools? I don't know. Some of you guys are homeschooled. You probably don't have that. But like, I was like, man, I just really want to get on the list. I know my friends are going to be there. Uh, it'll just be awesome. I just want to be nominated. And I didn't even get nominated. I was pretty humbled. And don't laugh at me. But I just thought like maybe that would help me really live life well. And I think, again, we know if we're Christians here that those aren't the things that are going to answer our our desire to live life well. But it's sad to think that that's how many people do think, maybe even how we're tempted to think. The truth is those people have not really lived. Apart from Christ, there is no true life. And those things will never be truly satisfying. How do you know how to live life the right way, the, the best way? How do you know uh, that you have lived life to the fullest? I think this psalm this morning directs our thoughts to what it's like to truly live. And the psalm we're looking at this morning shows us that, how you can truly live. What is it like to have true life? And it invites us and calls us to think upon and to respond to God. To know God and to respond to him. That's true life. Whoever you are, I think that this is such a good psalm for us to think about this morning. Refreshing to our hearts as believers. And instructing us if we're not believers. To see what God has said about how you can truly live life. And I'm going to give you guys a big idea this morning. That's something we do in junior high, so again, bear with me. But a big idea this morning is that true life is found in praising and knowing and in fearing the true God. True life is found in praising God, in knowing God, and in fearing God for who he is. Let's read this psalm together this morning. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart in the company of the upright and in the assembly. Great are the works of the Lord. They are studied by all who delight in them. Splendid and majestic is his work and his righteousness endures forever. He has made known his wonders to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. He has given food to those who fear him. He will remember his covenant forever. He has made known to his people the power of his works in giving them the heritage of the nations. The works of his hands are truth and justice. All his precepts are sure. They are upheld forever and ever. They are performed in truth and uprightness. He has sent redemption to his people 
He has ordained his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do his commandments. His praise endures forever. Let's pray together. Lord, we just uh, seek you, knowing that you've spoken to us in your word. We pray that you would uh, show us yourself, renew our minds, uh, and draw us uh, deeper into understanding and fellowship with yourself, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This psalm that we're looking at is located in the last part of the books of Psalms. There's five books in this psalm, uh, book of Psalms. And we don't really know much about the background of this psalm, who exactly wrote it, uh, when they wrote it, uh, but we do know why they wrote it. This is a psalm of, of worship to God. And it's interesting to see that this psalm was arranged like as an acrostic psalm, not a cross-stitch psalm. That's what your grandma does. Acrostic psalm is going like A, B, C, D with each statement. And they would do this in the Hebrew language so that it would be something that people could understand, something that people could easily read and easily memorize and internalize. And so here in this psalm, there are 22 statements which follow the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. And he wrote this so that it could be memorized, so that people could keep this in the forefront of their mind, to know these truths and to have them internalized. And I think it's also an acrostic because it gives us a full overview. Like these are are the things that we can know about God, kind of a, a a big picture of here's A to Z about who God is and what he's like. And this psalm teaches us that in a way that's easy to think about and easy to meditate on. And I believe this psalm here first helps us to see that true life is found in praising God. True life is found in praising God. If we want to know what true life is all about, it starts with praising God. And Psalm 111 is known as like, it's called a hallelujah psalm, which means praise Yahweh. And that's the very first word here that we see, praise the Lord. It's like an outburst, a cry of praise to God from his heart. And literally, yeah, that means in the original language, hallelujah. Praise Yahweh. Praise the Lord. There are a bunch of hallelujah psalms throughout uh, the Psalms, uh, the ones right next to it, Psalm 112, is closely connected with this one. These are kind of like a brother-sister pair here. And then there's other ones here, Psalm 113, uh, later in, in 115, 16, and 17. They all start with this word, hallelujah. And then even there at the end of the Psalms, the very last Psalm, 150, starts hallelujah. And they each start off with that simple word, Praise God. This is what we're here to do, to praise Yahweh. And I love this. This is in Revelation. It talks about hallelujah. Uh, this is, gives us kind of just a picture of, of the future and, and of the angels in heaven praising God and singing hallelujah. It says in Revelation 19, Then I heard something like the voice of a great multitude 
and like the sound of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder saying, hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the almighty reigns. God isn't just worthy of some like little wimpy uh, hallelujah. This is a God who, who deserves all praise from the heavenly hosts with the sound that's like mighty peals of thunder. I think this is the heart behind what he's writing here when he says, praise the Lord. It's, it's not just some subtle, quiet, praise the Lord. This is a loud call from his heart, praise the Lord. The idea of praise means to like admit something or, or it's a joyful expression that comes from your heart within that you can't contain, but it overflows out. It's an acknowledgement of pure worship and admiration and celebration of who God is. It says, I know that God exists, that God is worthy. And this psalm writer knew God and he knew that he was worthy. And so he responds by starting off, praise the Lord with a command, a call to others to come and adore and praise the Lord. I think we talk about things that we adore. That's really what praising is. I remember knowing a guy in high school who, and you probably know this guy too, maybe not the same guy, but you know the guy who like loves his car. And he doesn't just like drive his car or even take care of his car. He talks about his car all the time. You, t- you walk up to him and you're like, hey man, how's it going? And he's like, dude, my car, uh, yeah, just got, a, got the issue with the car. He loves talking about his car because he loves his car. It's almost like he wants to get other people to love his car too. Like, dude, it's an old Honda Civic. It's not that cool. But I think that's kind of an idea, like a really small idea of what praising is. It's, it's talking about what we've found to be true in our own life when we've experienced it. And we, we want to confess that to others and acknowledge it. Don't you see? Praise This psalm writer can't contain that he has come to know God who is truly worthy of his praise from his heart. He's he's here to praise him and his love for God is is overflowing. Look at verse one as it goes on. It describes kind of this praise. He says, I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart. This is his praise. Thanks here is also, uh, could be translated acknowledge. I acknowledge the Lord with everything in me. And notice where that praise is coming from. It says worship from God coming from all of my heart. This is joyful praise and thanks from within your very soul. It comes from having experienced God personally, experienced his goodness and his works and his ways, witnessed it. And so he will thank and acknowledge the Lord with all of his heart. Nothing is held back here from this praise. It's, it's everything within him. Praise is a matter of our heart, isn't it? It's not just uh, coming to church and looking okay on the outside or, or just going through the motions. It's not about just coming on Sunday or Wednesday. It has to be inward. It has to be real. This is true praise, and true praise includes our mind, it includes our emotions, it includes our will on the inside. 
God, it says in John 4, 24, must be worshiped in our spirit and in truth, which means that our praise can't just be outward. It has to be inward. It has to be from our heart. This is a guide for how we do praise. It's from all our heart. And so he opens with this simple call for everyone to worship and praise this God with all their heart. This is his example for us. Deep joy in who God is from the inside. But also notice there in verse 1 that his, his praise also involves other people. It doesn't just stay uh, by himself at home. It, it invites others to come and to worship as well. It's not limited to this guy alone. He says he does this in the company of the upright and in the assembly. This is probably where this psalm would have been uh, used, like in an assembly, maybe in the temple. And here the setting for this praise is, is in a community. And there's a truth here that God saves a group of people not so that they could be by themselves and just have to do this Christian life on their own. He brings them together where they can together worship God, where they can encourage one another in their worship of God or they can encourage one another day by day. It's in the church that, that we find that praise finds its fullest expression. It's not just something that we do at home, but here we come together and loudly together acknowledge what God has done in all of our lives. And that's encouraging to one another. And so this psalm writer here is calling out with joyful praise for others to come and join him. He has, I think, again, in, in his mind, that idea of those heavenly hosts, the angels, worshiping God. It says in Colossians that all things were created through him and for him. We were created for God. We were created to praise God. And, you know, some people say, that phrase, you probably know that, like, I was born to do this. I was born to play baseball. I was born to be a teacher. I was born to be a TikTok star. I don't know. But above all those things, even if they're not bad, and whoever you are, you were made to praise God. You were born to worship him. You were born for him. Psalm 150 says, let everything no matter who you are, everything that has breath, praise the Lord. Psalm 96 says, praise the Lord, all the earth. Nobody's excluded from this call. You need to worship God. Praise him to acknowledge and to adore him and give thanks to God, to, to praise the God who made you and who owns you, who gave you a heart and gave you lungs, and gave you eyes and ears. God who is worthy of our praise. When you praise God, you're really just doing what you were meant to do, as God created you. And I love the, I love the words of the psalm writer in 119. He says, uh, Psalm 119 says, Let my soul live, that it may praise you. To the psalm writer, that was what it meant to truly live. 
Why did he want to live? So he could praise God. He knew that's what he was meant to do. He knew that that is where true life comes from living for God. And I just want to ask maybe how you would fill in those words. And just to think to yourself, like, how would I answer that? Let my soul live that. Let my soul live that it may make a lot of money. Let my soul live that it may be comfortable. Let my soul live that it may get a good grade in school or be the homecoming candidate. Let my soul live first and foremost that it may praise God. That's who I am supposed to be. That's who God wants me to be. That's where true life is. And so the psalmist here is calling us to praise God, to see that true life is found in knowing this true God. But then here also we see that he sees that true life is found in knowing God. True life is found in knowing God. And and he's praising God in verse one for a purpose. There's a reason behind this praise. What's causing his praise here? It's because he knows God. And verses two through nine recite a few of the many purposes that we should worship God. And I won't like take you through all of these verses verse by verse, but I think there's a few things that we can pull out here in these verses to to think about and to consider about knowing God. And I think we can see first that God is active. What can we know about God from these verses? That God is active. What do I mean by that? Well, look at uh, verse two. It says, great are the works of the Lord. Verse three says, splendid and majestic is his work. Verse four, he has made his wonders. That means his wonderful acts to be remembered. Again, look at verse six. It says that he has made known to his people the power of his works. Verse seven, the works of his hands are truth and justice. Verse eight, they are performed in truth and uprightness. The focus throughout his his message, what he's thinking about is a God who is active, a God who is working. And this calls attention to God's acts and works in creating this world and creating us. It also draws attention to his works towards a people and saving a people. And we're told that these works in verse two are great. They are great. Verse two says, God's works are studied and sought out by all who delight in them. A lot of people point this out, but there is in England, this uh, special like laboratory at Cambridge University, probably the finest in the world. It's where all the finest scientific minds uh, from around the world come. And this is a special laboratory where some of the greatest scientific discoveries of the last 100 years have been made. This is where they've discovered the neutron and the electron. It's where they've discovered uh, discovered, uh, the structure of the DNA. And at this special laboratory, many people notice that, maybe many people don't notice too, that over the door are inscribed, chiseled in the door, 
these words from verse two. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Why? Why would they want to write that? Why would somebody want to have that inscribed over that door? Because they had found that even in all of their scientific study, in their looking into all of creation, all of the mind-blowing nature of, of the tiniest particles and the most profound science, was behind it a God who was a creator and who was at work. And it wasn't just to make these discoveries that brought them delight. It was to know the God behind all those discoveries. Isaiah 45 says, speaking of God, I made the earth. I created man on it. It was my hands that stretched out the heavens and I command all their host. That's who God is. God is at work and he is acting. God didn't just create this world as some people think and then just leave it as if we couldn't ever know who this God is. God is acting. And this psalmist here, I think more so even is talking about the works of God and the lives of people. That God isn't just distant from lives, but he is very intimately acquainted with all our ways, it says in Psalm 139. This psalmist was thinking about how God had worked in history, how God had worked in the history of Israel, in the history of his people. It says in Psalm 78 uh, that God had fulfilled his promises. He had divided the Red Sea into two so that the people could exit Egypt. God had led the people with a cloud by day and a fire by night. God had been the one who had provided water and food and sustenance for them in the wilderness. And God was the one who had provided for Israel a land to get into and, and a, even a king and rulers. This wasn't of themselves. This was God working and they knew it well. They couldn't deny it. They couldn't ignore it. But the thing is, how often did Israel forget? How often did people forget what God does in their lives? Perhaps this is why he wanted to remember it, even in this psalm. How often do people live like God doesn't exist? How often do people live like God isn't thinking of them or knowing what's going on in their life? How often do you live like God doesn't exist? How often do we think that God isn't powerful and, and working in all of creation? God isn't working in our own lives. I think this passage is here to remind us that God is at work. He is acting. God has an amazing plan that he is working out in this world. And when we remember who he is and how he works what does that do? It causes us to praise him. There's nothing better than knowing this God. God who's behind this world. There's so many people here, if you read Romans 1, that worship the creature rather than the creator. Let me tell you, that's missing out on true life. You don't just want to know the creature. 
You want to know and worship the creator. Not only is this God active, I think also here we see that this God that we need to know is also worthy. I think we could kind of summarize a lot of these verses by talking about how God is worthy. Look at verse 3. It says that his righteousness endures forever. Verse 4 says that he is gracious and he is compassionate. The second half of verse 5 says that he will remember his covenant forever. Verse 7 talks about how God in his works are truth and justice. His precepts are sure. This is all talking of God's character. He has ordained his covenant, not just for a hundred years, but forever. And then that last verse in verse nine, the last phrase, I think this kind of sums it up. Holy and awesome is his name. The psalmist is, is thinking about how we have a God who is holy and is awesome. And how do you sum that up but to say that God is worthy? That all of his character is beyond our understanding. It blows our minds to even try to scratch the surface of who God is. But we're told here how he is good, he is righteous, he's unchanging. He is holy and awesome. He is perfect. He's set apart from all sin. No evil may dwell with him. And you know, you don't need to read too far into your Bible or look into history or even look into your own life to realize that's not how we are, is it? That's not how mankind is. I think of uh, presidents, United States presidents. Like those are kind of like the most important people in our society, leaders, most well-respected. That is like the pinnacle of achieving uh, influence and, and uh, impact in this world to a lot of our, our world. But isn't it amazing to think that like we really can't, at least most of us, recite even who were all of the presidents that have gone before us. You probably don't know most of the presidents. And if you could maybe name their last name, that's about it. They're forgotten. They're here today and gone tomorrow. Like grass that, that f- uh, fades and blows away. Even the greatest leaders, the, the most well-liked people, the, the, the awesome people of, of our world are broken and they're flawed and they're sinful. They're unfaithful. They're weak. But God, who is like him? The Bible throughout, again, asks and asks that question. Who is like the Lord? Who is like the Lord? Who is like the Lord who is enthroned on high? It says in Psalm 113. Our Psalm writer here is meditating on how God is worthy. He is not like us. He is holy and perfect, and he is alone worthy. Worthy of what? Worthy of our praise, worthy of our trust, worthy of our awe, worthy of our honor. He sees a God who is worthy. 
think also we can see that he sees a God who is not only active, not only worthy, but a God who is relational. God is relational. And this is another kind of big theme that we can see in these verses here. Uh, Look at verse four. It says that the Lord is gracious and compassionate. Verse five says, he has given food to those who fear him. He will remember his covenant forever. He has made known to his people the power of his works in giving them the heritage of the nations. Then look at verse nine. It says that he has sent redemption to his people. God has sent redemption to mankind, to people. Again, how amazing to think that God did not just create us and then leave us here to do our own thing. This is a God who is relational with us. A God who has made himself known in his word. A God who has made himself known in his son, Jesus Christ. And this writer here could look back and see who a, a God who had come and worked in Israel, a God who had done all these things in history, and a God who he could count on in the future. A God who did this all because he would make a covenant with his people. A God who did this all because he loved people. God loves the world. And the gospel, you know it, tells us that today, that God has not forgotten us. God has not left us alone in our sin and in the judgment that we deserve. God has made a way for us to be saved. Gospel tells us that God has has come. I love it in the book of Luke when Jesus was born. uh, I believe it's Zacharias says, as he, as he believes in, in this coming of Jesus, he says, God has visited us. God didn't just leave us alone. He's relational. And, and he has come to bring forgiveness of sins. He so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. This is God, the God who came, the person of Jesus Christ, so that you could have life, so that you could know what it's like to truly live, not just in heaven someday, but so you you could know what it's like to live now and have your life filled with his spirit. God who has come to us, God who has come to redeem and to forgive and by grace through faith to save us and make us holy and blameless. This is a God who himself is the way and the truth and the life. And this psalmist here is thinking about this God who is life. There's no life apart from this God. To not know this God is to be dead in your trespasses and sins, says Ephesians. So here is a God who is active, a God who is worthy, and a God who is relational, meaning he loves this world. And so here we see these, these purposes that he's, he's meditating on in his praise that, that, that draw him to praise. And it's interesting to see, though, that he doesn't end just there. I think verse 10, we see a final point. 
that's that true life is found in fearing the true God and fearing this God. And we said kind of from the outside that, uh, outside that there's true life in praising and in knowing, but I believe it's also in fearing God. Look at verse 10. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do his commandments. His praise endures forever. Here, I think he's reminding us what it's like to truly live. To, to live truly is, is to have wisdom. Wisdom means you know how to live skillfully. It means you know how to do life the right way, the way it was meant to be. And this psalmist calls us to fear the Lord. If you want to have joy, if you want to live life truly, it's found in fearing the Lord. That's the beginning of it all. That's the beginning of wisdom. He's saying, do you want to live life the right way? Do you want to live life the best way? Do you want to have true life? Then fear God. Fear this God who is known, who's made himself known. What is fear? Well, fear is not a terror here. It's not something that you would be afraid of, like somebody who's evil. This is a recognizing of God for who he really is. It's a response uh, that causes us to live in obedience and live in awe and live in reverence a fearful respect, a trembling respect, but an adoration and a love for who this God really is. And not just finding who this God is and reading about him, but responding, reacting. To fear is to respond to God for who he truly is. Fear of the Lord says God is real and he is all powerful. And and I see who he is as he's revealed himself in his word to me. And so I must respond to who he is. I must worship him. It says a good understanding of all those who do. It's not just fearing him in some sort of emotion. It's a fear that produces a response in your life. This is those who who not only praise and love God in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And you could ask that of your own life this morning. Do I love this God? How do I know? Because I respond to this God. Not perfectly. I don't have it all together. But I do fear this God. I do stand in awe of this God for who he really is. And I respond to this God because of who he said he is. That is true wisdom. In fact, that's truly living. So I just want to ask as we close, have you truly lived? If you're a Christian, you're experiencing it. You're living true life. And this Psalm draws us to worship him better to worship him more, to respond to this God for who he really is. Let's do that together. Let's pray. Dear God, you are worthy. Uh, Lord, we can't even comprehend 
the height of your majesty and glory and your perfections. But Lord, we do know that you have shown yourself uh, in history and in your word and in the works all around us in creation. And so Lord, we want to respond rightly. We know that starts by coming to your son Christ and not rejecting him. Lord, thank you for the gospel that you loved us so much that you sent your son. Lord, it is the best news and it brings true life. And I pray that any of those that don't know true life would come to find it in you, Jesus. Lord, thank you that you are the bread of life. And thank you that you uh, have given us new life in your son, Jesus. In his name, we praise you. Amen.